Hi everyone, my name's Matt and I'm a member at Christchurch. I hope you've had a good weekend so far and it's great to be with you this morning. We're going to be spending the next half an hour looking at part of the Bible together, so it'd be great if you could grab yourself a Bible so you can follow along. And if it would be helpful, there's a written copy of what I'm going to say just below this video. Great, let's pray together before we start. Jesus, you say that anyone who hears your words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds their house on the rock. We pray this morning that we would better understand your words to us and we pray for the Spirit's help in putting them into practice so that we might be those who build their lives on the rock. Amen. Well, the countdown is nearly over. The day is nearly here. I know that lots of us have been waiting for this day to come and it's less than a month away now. The children are dreading it. The parents can't wait for it. It's the first day back at school. When I was at school, me and my friends, we noticed that our teachers often had a set of lines that they would love to use. Maybe you've had a chance to use them yourselves when you've been teaching at home the last few months. There's the tried and tested teacher line. Would you like to share what you're talking about with the rest of the class? Then there's the classic for a rowdy classroom. The teacher folds their arms, they wait for quiet, and then they say that inevitable line. Don't worry, it's not my time we're wasting here, it's yours. But there's one line that teachers use for uh, children who have just left primary school and just started secondary school. And it goes like this. Excuse me, that might be how you behaved in primary school, but we're in secondary school now and we do things a bit differently. It's a great line to use because every child wants to be in secondary school. They felt really proud when they put on their secondary school uniform and they want to be seen as mature. And the teacher is tapping into that saying, take off your primary school self and put on your secondary school self. And in the letter that we've just have read to us, what Paul is requesting Onesimus and Philemon to do is not too different than that teacher. Yeah, he's much more winsome. Yes, he's much more tactful and he's much more loving. But he's saying to both Onesimus and Philemon, you're a Christian now, so take off your old self and put on your new self. Anyone who's become a Christian has new life and they need to put on their new selves. The old self was self-interested, but the new self considers other people more important than themselves. The old self made decisions based on what was best for me, but the new self makes decisions based on what is best for spreading the message of Jesus and telling people about him. In short, the old self points to me and the new self points to Jesus. Last week we saw in Paul's letter to Philemon that the gospel is so powerful that it takes a slave and a master and it makes them brothers. Slaves were considered worthless in the first century and so you can imagine that the Colossian neighbours when they see Philemon's church worshipping in his house and they see slaves and masters worshipping to God, God together as equals and with a deep love for each other, 
well, they can't help but wonder what's going on. Philemon's church will point people to Jesus because when people see that church, they see a powerful picture of what God is doing in the whole world. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that this is what God's doing in the world. In Jesus, God is reconciling the world to himself and he's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. When people look at that church in Colossae, they will see that God is taking people from all different walks of life and he's bringing them into a family under Jesus. They'll see that everyone in that church desperately wants to point people to Jesus and they do it far better together than they ever could separately. Today we're going to think about ways in which we can point to Jesus and we're going to see three things. Be a family, listen to family guidance and show family hospitality. So first in verses one to seven, be a family. Last week we saw the scope of the letter to Philemon. Paul is asking his friend Philemon to forgive his runaway slave Onesimus and welcome him back but no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a brother. And in the first century, that was an incredible request to make. If a runaway slave was caught and returned to their master, their master would be legally well within their rights to have them put to death. And one historian says that in the first century, to say to every slave owner, to, we want you to release your slaves immediately. That wouldn't be too different than saying to everyone today, we want you to stop using your cars right now and never use them again. We know that cars are bad for the environment. We, we know that we want to work towards a future without them. But for now, we're, we're sort of stuck with them. And what Paul is aiming for is not to completely abolish slavery right here, right now. But what he asks of Philemon will deal a killer blow to the institution of slavery. And what Paul will do is will inspire Christians like William Wilberforce to fight against the slave trade that they see in the 1800s. One scholar said, if we understood Philemon sooner we'd abolish slavery sooner. That's because the gospel is far more subversive and far more powerful than we often believe it is. Make no mistake, this letter is a game changer. What Paul is asking of Philemon is unheard of in the first century. And the way that Paul goes about persuading Philemon is to remind him that he's part of an ever-expanding family. What Philemon doesn't know yet is that family has a new member in Onesimus. It's striking that this is a letter full of family language. In, in 25 verses, Paul uses the word sister once, son twice, and brother five times. Right at the heart of his request for Philemon, right at the heart of his appeal for Onesimus, is that Philemon thinks about the church family. The question is, what sort of family does Paul want Philemon and his church to be? 
Well, right at the start of the letter, Paul plants the idea that this is a family that outdoes each other with radical sacrifices for Jesus. Paul kicks off with this line. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul starts off his letter by shouting from the rooftops that Jesus is even worth going to prison for. Now, nobody is proud of going to prison today, and nobody, nobody would be proud of going to prison in Paul's day, except Paul. Because Paul is in prison for Jesus, and he will use his imprisonment to spur on other Christians to radically sacrifice for Jesus too. Paul is saying to Philemon and to us today, following Jesus means prison for me. What does following Jesus mean for you? It's an explosive start to the letter. Be a family that sacrifices for Jesus. Well, why would we sacrifice for Jesus? Why do it? The answer to that is in verse three. The bond that unifies this family is that they've all received grace from Jesus instead of condemnation. And now they live at peace with God and with each other. When you know what Jesus has done for you, it's hard not to be changed by that. And in verses four to seven, because of that grace and peace that they share, they become a family that's marked by love. This is a church family that excels in loving each other. For starters, they, they meet in Philemon's house. There's no keeping each other at arm's distance here because they welcome each other into their homes. They all see Philemon's dirty dishes. They, they help him lay the table. And in verse four, whenever Paul prays for Philemon, he thanks God because Philemon is a man who's known for his love for God and his love for God's people. That word in verse six, partnership in the, in the faith, it's a whole lot more than tea and coffee after the service on a Sunday. It means sharing life together, reading the Bible together, committing resources to the gospel together, knowing each other well enough to challenge and encourage each other and praying for each other, just like Paul is doing here. It's a lofty call. Being a family like this is not easy. I barely remember my own family's birthdays and anniversaries, let alone my church families. And we've all had Sundays where we just wish that we could have one more day on our own before the Monday madness begins again. We've all had nights where the thought of going to our connect group just gives us a headache. And if we're completely honest, well, our brothers and sisters, they don't always draw out of us feelings of love and deep affection. Being a family is hard. And right now, while most of what our church does is online, loving each other well feels that much harder. It's much easier to be distracted during Connect, to keep my phone just out of the gaze of the camera so that I can check the football scores. It's much easier to miss a meeting because it's easier to hide over the internet. And it amazes me how I can still be late to a Sunday, even though I'm watching church in my own house. 
The truth laid bare is that I struggle to put off my old self. I'm often too self-interested to love my church family in the way that Philemon does. I have a lot to learn from Philemon and his love for the church family. But in verse 6, there is a tonic for a soul that feels too weary to love. Paul reminds Philemon that this is not a family where it's all give, 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 and you never see anything in return. In verse 6, Paul prays for Philemon that his partnership with other believers in the faith will be effective in deepening his understanding of every good thing that they share together for the sake of Jesus. In other words, what Paul is praying is that as Philemon devotes himself to his church family, he will grow in the understanding of the, all the blessings that Jesus has for him. That's an incredible truth. It's wonderful, isn't it? That's enough right there to get me to connect. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not the more you give, the more you get. That's legalism. That's telling people that you can twist God's arm into blessing you. It's not the more you give, the more you get. But it is the more you give, the more you understand you have. And that's grace. We have incredible blessings that are ours on account of Jesus. And if we want to understand what those blessings are more, be a family. In verse 7, Paul claps Philemon on the back and says, well done. Because we might struggle to see the tangible effects of our love for our family, but that doesn't mean there is no effect. What Philemon's love for the Lord's people has done is it's given Paul great joy and it's refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. That word refreshed is beautiful, isn't it? Philemon's commitment to his church family has been for them like a glass of ice cold water on a hot summer's day. Those nights where I don't want to go to connect. Those Sunday mornings where I want more time on my own. What I don't need there is more me time. I don't need more alone time. What I really need is for my heart to be refreshed. And for that, I need to be with God's people. In the first seven verses, we, we see the sort of family that will get the neighbours in Colossae talking. And in a busy city like Liverpool, where people struggle to even know their own neighbours, can we see how being this kind of family will point people to Jesus? If we want to point people to Jesus, be a family. Well, secondly, verses 8 to 21, if you want to point people to Jesus, listen to family guidance. Have you ever heard a conversation where someone tries to justify bad behaviour and all the while they, they justify it while calling themselves a Christian? The conversation goes something like this. Well, I think that sex outside of marriage is totally fine and I'm a Christian, so... What the person is saying there is that the most important thing is what they think of sex outside of marriage. 
not what God thinks of sex outside of marriage, not what other Christians thinks of sex outside of marriage, but what they think. The most important thing is their own opinion. If they think that sex outside of marriage is okay, then surely God must because they're a Christian. And if they say that they're a Christian, then who are you to challenge them about their behavior? It's an ugly attitude, but it's an easy one to slip into. It's an attitude that says that our Christian brothers and sisters have no right to know details about our lives. They've no right to pry open our lives and challenge us. It's an attitude that gets defensive about discipline and cowers from correction. Well, if we see that attitude in ourselves, Paul's letter to Philemon is going to give us quite a shock. Remember what he's writing about. He's writing about something deeply personal. It's a personal relationship of Philemon's that's turned sour. Paul is a mediator here because, well, Philemon needs help to think through the situation clearly. Philemon's cheeks will turn red as this letter's being read out. This letter is as personal as it gets. It's personal, but not private. In verse 2, we see that Paul greets Philemon, but he also sends greetings to the whole church that meets in Philemon's house. The letter isn't to be handed to Philemon for him to take it upstairs to his bedroom and read it under his covers, but it's to be read in front of the whole church family. Paul is reminding Philemon of his responsibilities. If the new self wants to spread the gospel, then the gospel matters more than our personal preferences. He's reminding Philemon that his relationship with Onesimus affects the whole family. The decisions that Philemon makes have knock-on consequences for the church. So this situation, however personal, well, it can't be private. Does this make us feel a bit uncomfortable? Because if it does, it might mean that we've bought into the idea of a private life a bit too much. Christians don't chase after privacy, but instead they listen to family guidance. And this is a letter that is full of family guidance. First off, there's Onesimus, who Paul says in verse 10, has become his son while he's in chains. Consider where Onesimus is at spiritually when he first meets Paul. He's not one of God's people. He's stolen from Philemon and he's now a criminal who's on the run. His life is on a downward spiral and who knows where it's headed to next. But Paul explains the gospel to Onesimus and Onesimus becomes a Christian. And so because of that, Paul becomes his father. And as his father, Paul helps Onesimus to take off the old self and to put on the new self. And we mustn't forget how costly Paul's guidance for Onesimus is. It means returning and asking forgiveness from his master. Can you imagine that? Philemon could have Onesimus put to death here. But yet Onesimus goes anyway. Are you scared that humbling yourself to 
to hear advice from your family could be costly. Well, the cost for Onesimus was more and he went. And doesn't he in doing that show us a godliness and a humility that is worth imitating? But Onesimus isn't the only one who Paul has guidance for. He also has guidance for Philemon. At the time when Philemon receives this letter, he thinks of Onesimus as being as useful as a chocolate teapot. He's a waste of space. He's a bad memory. And to be honest, if Paul doesn't step in and intervene for Onesimus, and Onesimus returns to Philemon empty-handed, I don't think that Philemon's response would be as forgiving as what Paul wants. Philemon needs guidance. He needs to see the bigger picture. It isn't the same Onesimus who's returning to him. In fact, it's nothing short of a new man with a new heart. The gospel has completely transformed Onesimus. Let's look at verses 12 and 13 together. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. Paul's guidance for Philemon is deeply challenging. Forgiveness means welcoming Onesimus back and not doing it begrudgingly. Because Onesimus is Paul's very heart. To have a grudge against Onesimus is to have a grudge against Paul. Philemon is a man who's known for his love for God's people. And Paul challenges him. Philemon, if you want to love God's people, you must love Onesimus too. Paul's guidance for Philemon is to help him see the things that he can't see to help him view his situation, not through human eyes, but with the eyes of faith. Let's read verses 15 and 16. Paul says this, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and a brother in the Lord. This is what Christian guidance is all about, helping each other to look at our situation with the eyes of faith to see what God might be doing. It might even sound like Paul is being a bit evasive in verse 15, where he says perhaps the reason he was separated. I mean, it was Onesimus that was the reason that they were separated, right? He stole from Philemon and he ran away. At least that's what happened from a human perspective. But Paul, he takes the situation and he reframes it to take account of what God might be doing. Instead of Onesimus ran away, it's perhaps the reason he was separated from you. And that means perhaps the reason God separated him from you was so that you could have him back forever. Paul's guidance for Philemon, it isn't force, it isn't coercion. It's about helping Philemon to grow in faith and to see the opportunities that God is giving him to point to Jesus. Welcoming Onesimus back is an opportunity for Philemon to love like Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't love us because we love him. We reject Jesus and yet he loves us anyway. And in verse 17, that the rubber hits the road with Paul's guidance. He won't do anything without Philemon's consent. He won't force him. But if Philemon considers Paul a partner, he will welcome Onesimus back. Philemon has two options. Accept Paul as a partner and welcome Onesimus or reject Paul as a partner and refuse to welcome Onesimus. This might sound quite forceful here, but I don't think that Paul's being threatening. He's teaching us about Christian relationship. What he's saying is, you can't put your fingers in your ears while calling someone a brother. Christians love each other enough to listen to each other's opinions, even about their own lives. Now, no one in our church family is the Apostle Paul, but there is a sense in which if we refuse to allow our brothers and sisters to speak into our lives, we're severing the bonds that tie us as a family in the gospel. What does all this mean for us? Well, in truth, it probably means different things for each of us, but here's where I think we start. We pray that we would care more about the gospel than living life on our own terms. And we humble ourselves to realise that we need our brothers and sisters to help us see things with the eyes of faith. We need brothers and sisters to reframe our situations so that we can see what God might be doing. And in a world where the best advice anyone can give seems to be you be you or be yourself, isn't this a powerful way of pointing people to Jesus? If you want to point people to Jesus, listen to family guidance. And finally, point to Jesus by showing family hospitality. Earlier this year, I read this book by um, Rosaria Butterfield. It's called the, the Gospel Comes with a House Key. And here's what she says the book's about. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open their doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. Paul ends his letter with a request. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Philemon knows that his home is not his at all, but is God's gift to him for using to further his kingdom. And that means opening up his home, not just on a Sunday, but midweek too. Paul is welcome to invite himself around because Philemon has open doors. And for Paul, his commitment to both Philemon and Onesimus means that he wants to check up on them and make sure that they're okay. Showing hospitality means that our Christian brothers and sisters know what's going on in our lives. Our, our dirty laundry is there for all to see, both literally and metaphorically. If we want the gospel to impact us, we have to let it impact all areas of our lives, including our homes. It's not about putting a good foot forward. It's about opening ourselves up in humility and weakness. And it isn't simply about welcoming the people who we love. 
but welcoming back an enemy and treating him as a brother. The former Prime Minister of the Netherlands and theologian Abraham Kuyper once said this, There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who's sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. For Philemon to follow Jesus means loosening his grip on his decisions and his possessions. They're, they're Jesus's anyway. He's been redeemed and bought with Jesus' blood. And now he lives to point people to Jesus. Christian hospitality points to Jesus. Jesus who welcomed us even though we rejected him. Jesus who tells us that his father's house has many rooms and that he's going to prepare a place for us. What a welcome we've been given. And so now we welcome others too. Well, Paul, as he rounds off, he sends greetings from Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke. Pleasant reminders that Philemon isn't alone in striving for the gospel. His brothers are rooting for him. And then Paul finishes off his letter with his signature sign off. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. It's a signature sign off, but after reading a letter as heavy as this, you can't help but feel that the grace of the Lord Jesus is exactly what Philemon needs to remember. Forgiveness is hard work. Family is tough business. And to live for Jesus, Philemon needs to remember that Jesus is astoundingly gracious towards him. He needs to know before he forgives that his own sin has been thrown deep into the sea, forgotten, taken as far away from him as the east is from the west. But Jesus' grace to Philemon doesn't end there. He remains committed to Philemon, both as a high priest and a brother. Jesus is not unable to feel sympathy for Philemon's weakness. And for Philemon to carry out Paul's request in this letter, he needs Jesus. And so do we today, as we consider how we can put on the new self, challenge the culture that we see around us, and point people to Jesus as a family, how we need his grace to be with our spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter to Philemon. We thank you that the gospel radically transforms us and changes all of our relationships. We pray that by your spirit, we would be more like Jesus and that our lives will point other people to him. Amen.